Hi, I'm Ellen Woodbury. I'm an animator and stone sculptor, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Alexa, play Skull Rock Podcast. Playing Skull Rock Podcast from Amazon Music. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Thank you, Mr. Pirate, and thank you for listening. And if this is their first time checking out the show, welcome. Every week, we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never-before-heard stories, behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and much, much more. When your co-host, Al John Go, I'm a musician, podcaster, longtime Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars fan, of course, pop culturist. And you can email me, and we'd love that, aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard. I'm an artist, filmmaker, author. I'm also a pop culturist. And uh, welcome to the, uh, to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and po- uh, pop culture, uh, please subscribe to the show where, wherever you get your podcasts. And now we can be found on Amazon Music and Audible. What, what? What, what, what? <laughs> where, where, where's, my, and, where's my horn? And please, please like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at skullrockpodcast.com. Well, Al John, how are you? Oh, what a what a scorcher of a week. It was blazing hot out here in Los Angeles. Yeah, and it's warming up here in the middle Tennessee region as well. Uh, Music City's getting warm. Uh, I okay, you're gonna love this, Dave. So Nashville is one of the number one hotspots for bachelorette and bachelor parties. We know this, right? Okay. And I'm going to work, you know, I'm slowly kind of transitioning, going from the office to, or going from the home office to the actual office. So I'm driving and I'm, I'm at this downtown intersection. And then we have these pedal taverns you know what i'm talking about they're oh yeah, the little yeah. Pedal taverns. Like five people on either side and exactly. they're pedaling exactly with the guy steering it and it's a bar yes and yeah. we have got you know you see them in las vegas a lot I, I know that they're in la just a little bit but i definitely in in las vegas and in nashville and i think i saw about 21 of them so i said okay we're in full swing now we're in total full swing and then we have these little kind of uh in metro nashville downtown nashville we have these little uh scooters and people can hop on the scooter, and then they put them in these little bikes, bike lo- you know, um, uh, lock areas, and they can just basically you know rent them out or check them out, and then just go zip from place to place. Well, <laughs> we had this lady literally just humming along, just going super fast. I'm like, oh woman, you got to slow down. And I'm at this intersection. She totally busts like Tony Hawk, you know, Tony Hawk style goes uh, feet overhead. And I'm like, oh no! She got up. She looked like her leg looked like a like a bruised ham. It was just ouch. Yeah, ouch. it looked bad. And then she she was like, oh my goodness! And I said, uh, yeah, it's tour season in Nashville yeah, once again. Yeah. You know these people going by, and I just had to pick up my phone and call my wife. And I said, you'll never believe what just happened. I said we totally had a Looney Tunes moment right here in front of my wow. Car. Wow. Yeah. That, 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 you know, honestly, uh, some people, when they jump on those scooters, uh, if they haven't done them before, uh, they, they can get themselves into trouble. Well, you see, we can sit back and smile at it now because she was, she was not severely hurt, 
but I think her ego was bruised as a result of doing it in front of so many people during rush hour. <laughs> and, Absolutely. And just going out of control, hopping a curb because she just didn't slow down. She just kept on zooming along. And I'm like, oh, you better slow down. That's not, this is not NASCAR here, people. <laughs> but but uh anyway dave yes uh it is full full effect here summertime and uh i, I couldn't be happier yeah no it's uh it, it's unbelievable everybody is pouring out of their homes uh and doing all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff so um just watch the news in the evening and you'll oh, yeah. see some nutty things going on well speaking of nuts and wild we have a friend of yours the wildlife artist extraordinaire, brother bear co-director, Aaron Blaze joining us today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Aaron's in the green room sketching the wildlife that's crawling all over our snack table. And uh, I'm telling you, uh, we're going to have a great conversation with him. I'm looking forward to it. Incredible I artist. I can't wait. He's he's so inspirational. But I tell you what is inspirational, the box office. Skull Rock Podcast. This week in Disney and pop culture. You hear that fanfare, you know, that fun time. Times are afoot. Box office. Furious, fast and furious. F9 zooms into the mighty $70 million debut, shattering the pandemic records, Dave. I, I told you, Al John. I said people are going to, once things start opening up, people are going to pour back into the movie theaters. Oh, because yeah. these are the types of films, you know, Fast and Furious 9, F9, as they're calling it, yep. is the type of film you need to see on a big screen. And by the way, I'm going to see it this afternoon oh. on an IMAX screen. Oh, even better. Yeah. Well, Universal's so, rolling up that Brinks truck for all that money they're taking in. Yeah, and um, I'm I'm thrilled I'm thrilled to see these films taking off at the box office and it's going to continue through the summer. Yeah, uh yeah. just mark my words. I mean, you know, we've got Black Widow coming up. We've got uh Jungle Cruise with uh, uh um Wayne, The Rock, Johnson, and mm. Emily Blunt. Yep, another uh, Emily, the, Blunt, Emily Blunt uh, summer. Yeah, you know, I'm absolutely. Quiet Place, Quiet Place 2 and, uh, and Jungle Cruise. I mean, she's terrific. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think it's great to see it coming coming back. And even, uh, you know, I think this is even streaming too, right? You Can you get like the, uh, the premiere access on Universal uh, – uh, whatever pay extras or distant box office. I, I can't, uh, I can't honestly, remember. Al John, I don't know, but all I will say is that that is a crime. If you watch this movie on a TV, <laughs> okay, that's a crime. This is a movie you need to see on the biggest possible screen you can find in your neighborhood. I feel that Vin Diesel, I was talking to my wife. I said, you know, Samuel L. Jackson has been involved in so many awesome franchises and he's probably the biggest grossing box office actor currently uh working uh next to the rock i think he's been involved in so many franchises but samuel L. jackson from star wars to marvel mm. has been involved and now i think vin diesel is part of that uh part of that club because he's been involved in these franchises from guardians of the galaxy even though it's a voice acting role to to all the fast and furious movies since the very beginning man you, you know that that's a very short list of uh a-listers right there that's been involved in so many franchises yeah, no, I, I think it's uh, it's really incredible. Well, speaking of franchises, how about this? The latest trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings was just released from Marvel Studios. If you want them to be yours one day, you have to show me you are strong enough to carry them. 
You are a product of all who came before you. The legacy of your family. You are your mother. And whether you like it or not, you are also your father. So interesting stuff here as they expand the the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, of course, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings in theaters, only in theaters, September 3rd. And I will be waiting in bated breath uh, for that one, of course, um, in my quest to see everything Marvel. But um, it the- looks very good. Yeah. It, you know, I, I, I keep seeing the trailers uh, in the theaters and it looks like a really great film. I'm looking forward to seeing it again on a big screen. I love how Marvel color codes the magical mystical powers you have loki and their type of magic in green mischievous and then you have the dark powers from you know the uh the the bad magic from wandavision and purple and wanda's kind of chaos magic in red and here you have shang chi you have the good magic from um was it michelle yo's character plays the mom uh in that nice uh gold gold color mm-hmm. and then you have yeah. the father the the cold the 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 person that that trains in pain and not with with um with that kind of fam- familial joy uh you're going to experience this you have to harden you up for war in blue and mm-hmm. it's uh, really cool how they kind of give you these colors that represents you know certain aspects of you know good and evil so um i'm digging it and once again looking forward to seeing it in theater shang chi september 3rd yeah um, yeah so loki uh, are you digging it so far? The more episodes, I I, I haven't caught up. Okay, I, I I have I think two episodes that I have to watch. Um, I I actually uh, binge watch uh, Bosch the final season, oh, of on, course, uh, on uh, Amazon Prime. Of so, course, you know ha- Harry Harry Bosch. Uh, it's it's just, it's just been a great series. Uh, wow. I'm I'm sad that it's ending. Yeah, it's in my queue along with several other things I need to catch up with. You know. Um, but the wife and I caught up with Loki, of course. We we don't ever miss it because she's such a Tom Hiddleston fan. I am too. And this last episode is probably one of my favorite episodes so far just because of the banter. I won't spoil it for anyone. But if you do happen to be a video game enthusiast like myself, I have tried to resist the temptation of Fortnite. My 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 uh, <laughs> my friend's kids are like, Uncle Al John, you want to play Fortnite? I'm like, no, no, I'm not really into it. But if you happen to be into it, you can also check out all the new skins, including the new Loki skins on Fortnite, as well as Black Widow. So please check it out there at Fortnite as once again, they're teaming up with Marvel. This is not the first time they've teamed up with Marvel or Disney. Uh, They've had Star Wars team-ups and Avengers team-ups with Thanos in the past, so please check it out. And speaking of Disney, here we come again. Another fantastic Disney celebration as Destination D23 returns to the Walt Disney World Resort this November 19th through 21st of this year, 2021, post-lockdown day, 50 years of celebrating Walt Disney World Resort. Yeah, the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. I think it's fantastic, you know, and uh, it's great that they're uh, doing an in-person Destination D. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to be a gold member of D23, uh, like my wife and I, and uh, you could go ahead and pick up tickets when they go on sale here in July. Watch this space and this podcast for more details uh, and get it. One, one thing I love about the Destination D event is the fact that they don't have counter-programming. If you're in there, you're in there. Everyone gets a seat. Everyone sees all the presentations, and the merchandise is always a great, 
you know, great stuff for, oh, for fans. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. So you sent me this. Uh, we have from the Mint. Disney offers $1,000 signing bonuses nine months after layoffs, Dave. Yeah, well, you know, it's, look, the this is what's going on right now out in the labor market, and it's not just uh, isolated to Disney. It's a, it's across the board. Uh, they're having trouble filling uh, positions, and so companies are taking steps to uh, uh, entice workers uh, into these jobs. And of course, you know, Disney needs to step up and do something in order to fill all of these positions uh, at the resort. Uh, you know, they're specifically trying to fill the housekeeping ranks as well as food, some of the food service areas. So they're really trying to ramp back up and, uh, you know, kudos to them for offering a signing bonus to people. Yeah. Well, right now, housekeepers making $16 an hour, line cooks earning 18. They can receive the money if they stay on the job for at least 90 days, according to the company's website. So, you know, people making more money, um, you know, earning more and getting that customer uh, help and that satisfaction that uh, Disney's known for. So looking forward to seeing more people employed there at the, the Disney resorts globally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and this, this was another uh, little Disney story that popped up. Al John, I sent to you, Disney is going to close all, but one of its UK stores. Uh, and they're going to obviously keep the, the big uh, store on Oxford street in London, uh, which is, you know, Oxford Street is their premier shopping district. It's like, you know, Fifth Avenue yes. uh, in New York City. Uh, and all I can say is uh, it's kind of a shame. The, the the Disney stores have had such an up and down over the years. You know, they, they expanded, they shrunk, they sold them off, they bought them back, they redid them. Uh, so there there's a lot of uh, stuff going on there with their stores, but I suspect that they're going to probably do more of a sort of a premium brand sort of appearance in major cities where they'll have a main Disney store like in London or New York City or whatever. But they're probably going to do away with, I think, a lot of these smaller Disney stores and outlying shopping malls. I think what's happening too, Dave, and this is a good point. Yes, they're they're going to have that premier kind of experience in those those big markets. But I think they're also moving toward and we saw this at d23 several years ago the move to store within a store concepts for example the target you know little little areas that they have with disney and having sure. a nice footprint there so maybe they'll partner up with some uk uh eu department stores or something like that to have a really nice store within a store concept for all of their great merchandise and just increase their licensing of course their their juggernaut sales online I don't think that's ever going to stop. So, no, no, not at all. But you know, I I think there's a great opportunity with the stores to do to sort of take it to a different uh, level uh, because it's Disney and do more experiential uh, uh, type of things uh, within a retail environment and fold in cruise lines and vacation club and things like that and make it you know not just about selling merchandise but the whole. Disney Disney experience. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting. I, I, I'd love to pick your brain at some point, Dave, because there's been so many stop starts with the Disney style experiences, whether it's, um, 
you know, uh, the Disney Quest or, you know, the different Disney stores that they wanted to do and different experiences. One of these days we'll have to talk about it because it's just fascinating, the history behind that. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Harrison. And, Ford, and, yeah. and by the way, I'm sorry, yeah. maybe we can we, we we should touch on that for our July 4th show. Oh, absolutely. Because I know you had something to do with some of that. Did you not during your time there? Some of these, uh, you know, I, I did a few things with the Disney store uh, with projections uh, at yep. the Times Square uh, facility and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, I again, I think that, you know, because it's the Walt Disney Company, I think they can take the retail experience to a completely different level. Mm. And they really haven't done that yet. I'd love to I'd love to hear about it. We'll talk about it next week for sure. Yeah. So Harrison Ford is no spring chicken. He suffered a shoulder injury on Indiana Jones 5, but the production will still roll on, Dave. I mean, ouch. Harrison Ford seems to be snake bit. Uh, Last time he was doing Star Wars uh, The Force Awakens, he injured his foot, leaving the the, uh, Millennium Falcon ramp. And now it seems like he also is getting injured again in this Indiana Jones well, and, movie. And, and you got to remember, he crashed a plane two years ago on yeah. a golf course in Los Angeles. I mean, you know, honestly, I, I was actually kind of surprised when I saw this story because I didn't realize he's 78. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but doesn't he look I, great I, I mean, for 78? Re- he does, he, well, <laughs> a, he doesn't look it. I mean, that's a compliment to him. He doesn't look uh, um, uh, 78 years old, but he's 78 years old, you know, and I think the things that he was doing 30 or 40 years ago, he, his body can't do. Yeah, well, once again, he's no spring chicken. Harrison, please get better soon. Uh, and I'm looking forward to this next installment of the Indiana Jones franchise. It looks like it's going to be uh, next year. We'll be seeing some Indiana Jones. Can't wait for that. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it is an end of an era, you know, Dave. And it's sad to say Conan O'Brien is ending his late night run. Um, and the producer, Jeff Ross, reflects on an unprecedented 28 year run. Uh, unbelievable. Um, was know, it on for that long? Yeah, it was on for that long. Almost 30 wow. years, almost 30 years of a run. And I've been invited. Um, I, I, I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of late night musicians over the course of time in my career. And I was invited to visit the Conan O'Brien set. However, I've just been unable to make it out to see Conan. I'm a huge Conan O'Brien fan. I uh, loved his work writing for The Simpsons, loved his late night work. In fact, he was my favorite. He was my favorite guy. He was my guy. Him and Arsenio you know, Hall really was my guy. <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, the the uh, the Simpsons did a nice little cameo piece uh, of uh, Homer uh, talking to uh, Conan uh, about the end of his show. Yeah, uh, it was very funny. It was a funny little clip that I watched. Yeah, well, if you're a fan of Conan's like I am, be sure to check out his podcast. And uh, you know, it's just another end of an era. I loved Conan because not only did he have amazing wit, great humor, but um, him and Andy Richter were amazing. Just the chemistry, very smart. He was always cutting edge. And he also had one amazing band. I was always a fan of Max Weinberg back in the day and uh, his current band. So he will be missed. Uh, Nothing else will replace Conan. But uh, it is indicative of where people are going. And I think uh, with him doing vignettes on YouTube and his podcast, he will still continue to uh, entertain audiences for many years to come. Were they ending it just because uh, the ratings were down? Or what, what I was think the ratings reason? are overall, they're down. But I think it's Ac- just across the board. Across right? the board. Yeah, across yeah. the board. I think people are finding 
um, different ways. And I'll be honest, I haven't watched late night TV in a long time because I can get anything through YouTube and I can just take whatever clips I want with the personalities I enjoy watching or even old interviews from like Craig Ferguson, which are hilarious. You know, I'll just yeah, sit there yeah. and just revisit those on YouTube whenever I have a three minute, you know, window and just laugh and then I'll move on. But that's just my viewing habit. And I think a lot of people share the same viewing habits I have now because it's indicative in the ratings. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Harry Potter, Dave, Harry Potter. Uh, you can't kill it. Um, it's continuing to move mountains and, uh, we've got a brand new New York experience, uh, that's going to be happening. I'm sorry. It is actually a new exhibit that's going to be happening there. What, uh, London will be launching the Harry Potter photographic ex exhibition, um, in July 12th. And they're going to be serving butterbeer, Dave. Wow. They're serving butterbeer. They've got a <laughs> butterbeer kiosk and all the photographic exhibitions, behind the scenes, concept art, and so much more from all of the Harry Potter films. Of course, it makes sense that it's going to be out there in London. So I uh, guess we'll be able to wear Hogwarts uh, robes and take a broomstick flight over London, as well as posing for their own Ministry of Magic ID, which I'm in favor of. Um, be sure to <laughs> stop at the butterbeer bar. Yeah. Honestly, I have to tell you that, uh, you know, the Harry Potter franchise obviously is is a great, great franchise. Uh, but, you know, when you talk about um, the concept art, uh, you know, all of those Harry Potter movies, they had great production designers. And, and those production designers generated so much fantastic artwork. It, I, I really, I'm, I'm hoping that that exhibit travels to Los Angeles because I'd really love to see some some of that concept art. And I would encourage the, uh, you know, our friends out in London, you know, when the exhibit opens, go check it out because, you know, the production designers on all of these films just do incredible work in visualizing what these sets are going to look like. Yes. And feel free to send us a case of butterbeer as well, because it looks freaking amazing. <laughs> Admission to the Harry Potter photographic exhibit <laughs> exhibition is about 20 euros um, or, or 20 pounds, rather uh, $20 uh, USD for ages uh, uh, 16 and up and um, around $19 for kids around five to 15 ages four and under will be able to get it for free. So that's great for the little tots in your, in your life like ours. And uh, if this sounds like a cool place to visit, hopefully we'll all be able to uh, hang out there at Harry Potter, um, the new exhibit. Uh, also, you sent me this, Dave. Um, Logan's Run is probably another one of my, my favorite movies growing up. And it looks like Michael York um, uh, is sharing tales of its uh, 45th anniversary. Unbelievable. You know, I was really shocked when I saw this because I, I mean, 45 years ago, this movie came out. I couldn't believe it, you know, and it was such a great film. Absolutely. I remember seeing Logan's run. I mean, first of all, the book and the comic book adaptations were amazing. So that's how I got into it. Then I saw the movie and I was blown away. I was in, I was, I was still very young in grade school. And I remember watching space 1999, of course, star Wars and star Trek and Logan's run was just another piece of that sci-fi uh, fantasy that I love so much. And the little model cities and the, the little, um, trains that would go across the different tubes and everything like that that were and i remember seeing the behind the scenes on it where people were actually blowing into those tubes 
uh, so mm. that the little little trains would run around, I thought was just amazing. And uh, I, it's hard to believe it's been that long. You know, I got to tell you, there, there, every every year, every month of every year now, there is a major anniversary for a seminal motion picture, you know, uh, uh, like Logan's Run or, you know, there was the big anniversary for Indiana Jones. Yeah. Uh, you know, every year we have multiple anniversaries for some of the Disney animated features of years gone by. And I just wish that, you know, the movie theaters would set aside one theater to run a couple of these classic films a week when there's a big anniversary. I'd love to see Logan's run on the big screen. I saw it in the movie theater when it first came out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I, I think this would be, you know, again, another great way for movie theaters to help reinvent themselves. Yeah. And I, I don't know if they remastered Logan's run. But, you know, I, I have to tell you, at this point, most of the studios have done some amount of digital scanning of negatives and digital restoration. I know the Walt Disney Company has had a, you know, a big effort over the last, you know, uh, five or 10 years to completely digitize their entire library. You know, and uh, and I I would I want to believe that the other movie studios are doing the same thing because content is king. It's all about content. You want to you want to preserve and present that content the best you possibly can. Absolutely. I think this is a, once again a great film and I think uh, people need to check it out. And the score is amazing. Wasn't it uh, Jerry Goldsmith who did the uh, did the score for it? I, I think it's just amazing. <sighs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it really is a terrific film. It was, you know, again, I think at the beginning of that big sci-fi uh, period, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, absolutely. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. great great anniversary. Uh, I hope people, uh, you know, check it out. I don't know if it's available on the streaming platforms or, or what. Yeah, I believe so. I think people can watch it on HBO Max right now. There so, you go. Uh, Fantastic. Check it out. Absolutely. Well, without any further ado, I think it's time to let the wild man in. I, I, I got one more thing oh. I put on our notes here. Oh, okay. and it was just the sad news that a colleague named Ken Kropasik passed away on Saturday. Oh. Uh, and, and he was a friend. Uh, he's somebody that I first met when I was working at Walt Disney Animation Studios. He, he was working there. Uh, he went on to become a uh, manager down at the Disney Disneyland uh, Resort. Uh, and he passed away unexpectedly, um, uh, on Saturday. And I just wanted to put a shout out to him. He was, he was really a great guy and he was an artist himself. you know, he, he did, he did his own, uh, artwork. Uh, he, uh, um, was just a terrific person and, uh, I'm going to miss him. Uh, he was always a very positive, upbeat individual. And, uh, it was very sad to hear this news yesterday. Oh, well, my condolences and I'm, I'm sad to hear it. Uh, I know that you can find his artwork online. So, yeah. uh, please feel free to, to seek that out, but, uh, right. let's put the, let's put the link to that in the show notes for this, sure. this episode. Sure thing. I'll go ahead and do that and please seek it out for Ken and, uh, you know, Godspeed and, uh, to his family and friends, our condolences. So, uh, please seek it out Ken's work and we'll put the link in our description below. 
Absolutely. And I do think it is time to um, pull uh, Aaron Blaze out of the green room. All right. We got to snatch those snacks from him and we'll be right back with our featured guest. Oh, this sounds good. You should definitely save it. You think so? Oh, yeah. For your friends. Oh, well, I have this other story. Uh, tell you what. How about no talking? Okay. Then I'll sing. No, 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 no. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Uh, Al, John, as promised, we had uh, we have Aaron Blaze, who is in the green room sketching the critters running around our uh, snack table, <laughs> and uh, he's joining us. I got to tell you something. This this guy is an incredible artist. Aaron uh, was not only a Disney animator and contributed to The Lion King and a bunch of other films, but he co-directed with Bob Walker the Brother Bear feature uh, and. And I have to tell you, he's one of the most incredible wildlife artists that I know. Uh, I mean, I put him up there with Roger Troy Peterson, John Sibley, even Autobahn, man. I got to tell you, when you look at his wildlife art, it's unbelievable. I want to welcome Aaron Blaze to the Skull Rock Podcast. Aaron, it's so great to see you. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this. This has been, this is, this is great. And, and, you know, one of the things I love is behind you, our audience can't see this because they're, they're listening to us, but behind you, you've got a whole shelving unit full of skulls. Did you do that, did you do that just yes, for the I, Skull Rock podcast? I'm sitting here talking to you from a lovely room of death. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm, well, in my entire studio, I've got, you can't see, there's even more shelves that you can't see. You know, I, I teach... One of the things I do is teach animal anatomy and animal drawing along with everything else. And so um, so I've got lots of um, helpers all over the room here to help me do that. So, you know, what's 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 interesting and I think our audience uh, wants to hear about is the fact that you actually grew up in New England. You grew up in Vermont and you went to Ringling School of Art and Design uh, down in Florida uh, where you majored in illustration. Well, I, you're you're partway right. I was born in Vermont. Yeah. Um, and uh, my parents split up when I was young, and I ended up moving to with my mother and stepfather. I moved to Florida when I was about eight years old. So I grew up in South Florida, down in the Everglades. Oh wow! Yeah. And so, so you went you went from the wilderness of Vermont to the wilderness of the Everglades. I did absolutely, and I've gone back and forth. And I really, you know, as a kid, I fell in love with the swamps and the gators and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We lived in this little single wide trailer for years and years out in the, out in the boonies. And so the blessing of that is I didn't want to be stuck inside this tin can all the time. And so I was always outside running around and, and had my sketchbook and my camera and, and I was always drawing and, and that was my experience growing up in Florida. And that's why I ended up at Ringling because it was right up the road from where I was living. Yeah. And Ringling is a great uh, art school. I mean, it's an art school and a museum, the Ringling Museum of Art. It's down yeah. there. Uh, and, and, and you, you but you, you uh, were majoring in illustration while you were there, not animation. Exactly. I had, I never had any intention of being an animator. I loved animated films, you know, as any kid did. 
Um, I love Disney, but I never had any thought of her working for Disney, doing animation. I grew up chasing wildlife, wanting to be a wildlife artist. So my heroes were Robert Bateman and Roger Tory Peterson, like you mentioned earlier, and, uh, John James Audubon and that sort of thing. And um, and one of the big things as a kid, you know, I had these dreams of traveling the world and, you know, but I lived in this little trailer and I had my little room at one end of the trailer and I would gather and collect National Geographic magazines. I had thousands of them stashed under my bed. My bed was a little, <laughs> it was a couple of cinder blocks with a piece of plywood on it and a mattress. And under that, I had all these National Geographic magazines just stuffed in there, stacked. And I would read them at night and also draw from them. And they just became this, my gateway to the rest of the world. So when I went to Ringling, I actually wanted to be an illustrator for National Geographic. That was my goal. Wow. And, yeah. and you know, it, it's so funny when, 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 when I talk to many of our colleagues, uh, we all had these ideas that we were going to go and do X or Y. And, and oftentimes when I talk to, to people in, in art school and uh, with people just starting out that want advice, I, I'm like, be flexible. Don't don't have your heart set on one thing because opportunities are going to present themselves and you're going to zig and zag on your career. And that's what we've all done. Have that's you? exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And you know, I give this uh, part of what I do now, you know, with my teaching and everything is I, I do different lectures. And one of the lectures I, I do is basically just a lecture on my career. And I call it persistence of vision. Because it deals with just exactly what you're talking about. First of all, we know the term persistence of vision in relation to animation and how film going through the camera, you know, it gives you the motion and all that. But I also thought it was a it was a kind of a cool metaphor for just having this persistent vision of wanting to be an artist. Because you start out thinking you're gonna do this one thing, like be an illustrator for National Geographic. And certain doors close, other doors open up. And, and, and that's what I tell young people in the audience, especially college students, is, you know, when I was your age, I knew exactly what I was going to do. And here I am, you know, 40 years later, and I never did anything I expected to do in the way that I expected it. But because of this persistent vision of wanting to do art, it's taken me in a completely new path that was just as great as I had, had hoped for yeah, and and how how did you go from an illustration major at Ringling School of Art and Design to the Walt Disney Animation Studios uh, in Orlando at, at the Disney Parks? It was it's a it was a mixture of both great timing and yeah, and just luck. I am um, I you know, first of all I've always loved to draw. I've always loved to draw animals, and so I was always doing that anyway. So always going out to the zoo or now out to the wilds or whatever. And, um, and so I had this portfolio pulled together anyway. And so what happened was I, I, I was kind of pulling that together for National Geographic. Well, I, and I, I didn't really have any money for school while I was going to school. So I was freelancing as much as I could to, to pay for food, to pay for whatever I needed to pay for gas. 
And, um, and when I, I mean, one of my goals was I wanted to be a staff artist wherever it was I went to. I didn't want to, I just wanted a regular 40 hour check. I didn't want to, to freelance anymore. And one of the first things I found out was that National Geographic freelance most of their illustration work and they really didn't have staff illustrators in the way that I was hoping to do it. So that closed that door. And so then I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do otherwise? I mean, I can always freelance for them if I want, but that's not going to be my my nine to five everyday job. And so I went to our job placement office and they said, well, we've got two companies coming. We've got Hallmark cards. They're going to be coming and interviewing. And we've got Disney. They're coming for the first time. They're doing this, some new intern program. And I thought, okay, well, I'll put together a portfolio for both. And lucky for me, Disney was first. Um, if Hallmark would have been first, I would have interviewed with them and I could be sitting in Kansas City doing cards right now. <laughs> <laughs> but Disney was first and I really knew nothing about it. I just knew that um, they were opening some studio in Florida uh, in, uh, in 1989. This is in 1987 when I was actually pulling everything together. And um, and so I thought maybe I'd be a background painter because that, you know, is still kind of close to illustration. Um, I really knew nothing about animation at all. Uh, but I put together this portfolio of figure drawings and animal drawings and I got accepted. And what Disney's Disney's motivation for coming to Ringling, you got to remember at the time, you know, d uh, animation hadn't made the big resurgence yet. Uh, this is right about the time of the Great Mouse Detective. Right, and, and so, Little Little Mermaid hadn't even come out yet. Little Mermaid. No, be, no actually, at this point, Little Mermaid hadn't even begun. It was still in development. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so uh, Ringling was, you know, it's known as, you know, not only is it a great illustration school right now, but it's also a great animation school. But at the time, there was no animation at Ringling, and so. Disney was going for the first time, they were going out to these different schools around the country beyond CalArts and beyond uh, um, Sheridan to uh, to see if they could, they'd kind of tap those schools. And so they wanted to, to broaden the net and see if they could bring in students that could draw, that had a good foundation in just basic drawing and painting and see if they could teach them animation through these internships. And so myself and Dan Gracie, who is another guy uh, that went to Ringling with me, um, we were picked from Ringling along with a few other schools around the country. And there was eight of us all together in this pilot program. Uh, and we got brought in and, um, and lucky for me, we all got matched up with an animator. And so lucky for me, I got matched up with some guy. I didn't know who he was, but everyone's going, man, you're so lucky. I got matched up with this guy named Glenn Keane. And, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> I have no idea who he is, man. Yeah. Something and else. I really didn't. I didn't know who he was or anything like that. Um, but he, there's something in my portfolio he liked, and he wanted to take me under his wing. And I remember sitting in his office for the very first time, and he was um, he was finishing up doing some animation on Fagin from uh, Oliver and Company. He was just getting started thumbnailing. Uh, part of your world in uh, Little Mermaid. And he sat there and I was 20 years old at the time. And, and, and he just started asking me what I thought about his drawings. And, you know, uh, he was just always so enthusiastic about what he did and wanted to get opinions from people and wanted me to give my opinion. I think he wanted to see how I thought. And, and, and I remember him talking about, you know, what animation was to him and how he had started 
kind of in a similar mindset as me. He was a painter. He was an illustrator. Uh, he went to CalArts, not necessarily to become an animator, but to do something. And he, he got into animation and, and he was explaining to me what animation was to him through the music and the acting and the, the emotion and everything that is art is kind of compiled into this one medium. And he, and as you guys know, I mean, he's just so inspiring. I remember sitting there after 10 minutes, I realized that animation was the thing I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And that was 30, what's that? 32 years ago, sitting wow. in his office 33 years ago. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, and what a great mentor to have. And, and oh. while you, while you were working with him, you you were doing you were going to start working with him on the Little Mermaid, right? No. So what happened was, I still had a year of school. I was only in my it was only my second year of school. Oh, so this was this a summer internship, like this for was a set a period of time? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. it was just a summer internship. It was only six weeks. Oh, That's six weeks. Wow. So so get that. So I. I had no idea. I never done animation, never went to an animation school. And, um, but I learned how to do walk cycles and bouncing balls and do cleanup and all that in six weeks. It was like this super intensive uh, program that they put us through. And the idea was, is that we'd go through the six week program. And if it was successful enough, they had this 16 week program set up in Florida that we would then complete and we'd be you know, part of the group. Well, the six week one went so well, they just said, you're hired after six weeks of animation training. Wow. Which is awesome. Awesome. Yeah, off, it was of, off, of bouncing, off of bouncing balls and bouncing off, ball. And I did, sacks. A, I, did a walk cycle, I did a flower sack and I did a walk cycle of a gorilla. <laughs> wow. <up> a gorilla. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so I still had a year of school. So after the, the internship, I had to go back to, to Ringling finished up my last year of school, but I had a job waiting for me in, in, uh, in Orlando. So that made that last year really nice. And yeah. I actually left the school early a month early and, uh, and started at the studio in April, on April 17th, 1989. And, uh, and then we graduated halfway through May somewhere in there, but, um, it was great. And, uh, I started out as a, as a cleanup assistant, uh, under Mark Kausler, Oh yeah, and, uh, Mark, the great Mount Mark Kausler. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was that was my start of my my Disney career right there. And uh, you know, in that last year of school, that's when my my wife and I got together and we started our family. We got married during that time. It was it's pretty amazing stuff. It was big big life changes in that one year. You know, uh, I I have to say, uh, isn't that always the way? You have so many different things, kind of so many different cross currents that happen all at once. Oh yeah, uh, I, yeah I mean, absolutely. That, that's it always, else. it's always that that twenty twenty one year old time of our lives. You know, it's it's uh, you're invincible. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you can do anything. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So so what what was the first what was the first picture you worked on with Mark Kausler? Uh, Roller coaster rabbit. Roller coaster rabbit, which was which was being directed by uh, Rob Minkoff, right? Yes. Yeah, so, well, it ended up with Rob Minkoff. It started out with Bill Cop. Right, and, right. And switched over to Rob Minkoff. Uh, the late great Kelly Asbury was art directing. Yeah, and um, and we just it was a great time. We really had a good time doing that, and I really that's where I really learned a lot because after six weeks of animation training and being thrown in as an assistant, I really didn't know what I was doing, and so I had to fall on my face a few times. I remember um, I really didn't understand what key drawings were, and here I am 
actually working on a, 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 a production film. And, uh, and I thought an assistant was the guy that took the first drawing, cleaned it up. You take the second drawing because that's the in-between drawing. You put that aside. You take the next drawing, you clean that up. And you take the next drawing because that's an in-between drawing. You put it aside. And so I kind of cleaned up this entire scene in that way. Remember, it was a scene of baby Herman. And then it got in between by, by my own assistant. And it turned out to be just like this warbling, bubble-headed, really gross-looking piece of animation that I, uh, I thought I was going to get fired on. And, uh, it was, no, you, you, you can't get fired there on, on, <laughs> on doing something bad. You can be told that it's bad and go redo it, right? Well, it was funny because we did, we did all of our reviews with the entire studio standing around watching and this horrible piece of animation came up that I did that was, oh my God, I just wanted to crawl under a rock. But you, you know, you live and learn, you, you, don't, you don't make the same mistake twice and you move on. So that's what we did there. But it was, uh, it was a great experience working on that. For those of you that don't know, Roller Coaster Rabbit was a, was a six minute uh, short that went out with Dick Tracy back in 1990, 89, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and again, it was one of those things where they were trying to keep, uh, keep, uh, uh Roger Rabbit going because of the su success of who framed Roger Rabbit exactly. in, in the anticipation of doing a sequel, which, you know, people continue to talk about a Roger Rabbit sequel, you know, 25 years, 30 never years on. Yeah. I mean, it's really something else. So, uh, roller coaster rabbit. And, and what was it like working at the Florida studio? That That's the one thing I always like to ask the artists who are down there. We, you know, we, we yeah. had Max Howard on, we had your old friend, uh, Chuck Williams on yeah. a number of months ago and everybody has their own different take on it, you know? <laughs> uh, but I always referred to it as a fishbowl cause I worked down there for six weeks when oh, I, I remember you were I doing remember. Lion King, you know? Yeah, it was a fishbowl, and um, it was funny, too. I mean, I don't know how risky I can be, but we're also, we were a bunch of young 20-something-year-old boys that half the time were sitting under these beautiful, you know, Brazilian tour guides and all kinds of stuff coming through, and <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of us were single. And there's there are quite a few dates that were made through through the through that glass. Actually. Was there was there really were wow. people oh, like, yeah. holding up notes and things like oh, that? Oh yeah, well Barry Temple, uh, you know Barry Temple animator, <laughs> Barry, yeah, and his wife through the glass. Is yeah. that Whoa. right? That is that's a that's a great story. We're gonna have to get Barry on. Uh, I I don't even know where he is. Is he down in Florida still? Yeah, he's in Orlando still. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah, we we're gonna have to re we're gonna have to reach out and get him booked. You yeah. Know? But but that that's hilarious. I mean, you you've got to have a, a couple of funny stories about the 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 glass wall. Oh, there. there's there's a lot of funny stories, and it's, it's what's interesting nowadays are the people that I meet that are in the industry that say, "Oh man, yeah, I used to come through that tour and I would sit there and just watch you guys all day long." Same. Meanwhile, we'd be sitting on the other side of the glass going. Dude, there's this guy that's been sitting here creeping me out all day long. This guy. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was sorry, probably Aaron. Al John. Yeah, it sorry. Was Al John. I could help myself. I was I was stalking you guys. I was hanging out with a bunch of popcorn. I was like, hey, look at that guy. They're working on Brother Bear. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. we, all, yeah, we had little dart guns and, you know, we, the, the kids on the other side of the glass, a lot of times they'd come through and they'd be kicking the glass or whatever. 
And uh, so we pull out our dart guns and, and shoot them through the glass. <laughs> and, uh, awesome. and the kids loved it. They just had, they, it was, it was a lot of fun. We is, uh, but then, but there's other times you had to really watch out. Um, you know, obviously you got to be careful where you pick and don't pick your nose. Don't scratch your butt, that sort of thing. I remember one time I, I, I had to get, a, I had to get some wisdom teeth pulled and it was oral surgery. And I, it was during, uh, it was during um, uh, Beauty and the Beast, and I came back and I just had oral surgery. I don't know why I thought I could just come back to work. But I came back to work, and, uh, and these stitches kind of popped in my mouth. Oh, no. But, but the whole side of my face is still numb, so I couldn't tell. And I'm sitting there drawing, and we got, you know, we got 100 people on the other side of the glass <laughs> watching, and I'm drawing, and all of a sudden, it's just... Drip, drip, blood, drip blood dripping blood. out onto your drawings. <laughs> flipping paper. It was, it was disgusting. <laughs> and there was another time we, we had this one guy, Chuck Chuck Volmer, who who was six four and weighed about one hundred and thirty pounds. You could see through him; he was so thin. <laughs> and uh, and he and I went out and we gave blood one day and came back and. He, I think they drained half his blood because he. We were standing there under the glass shooting a, a, a scene. There's about five or six of us, and Chuck goes, "Oh man, I, I'm not feeling too good." Oh. <laughs> we all looked at him, and he went and fell back, and he hit the he oh. hit the pole. He had this big pole, and he just slid down it, and then just fell over sideways <laughs> and fell onto the floor. And we're all standing there, just guys passed out on the floor, and all the people up in the glass are watching the TV, and then they're looking down at him, and we're trying to drag him off so no one can see him. And you know what it was? He forgot to eat the cookies at the end. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like he just lost his blood sugar. Poor guy. Oh my gosh! But it was it was always an adventure. I remember one time we had Robin Williams came through one time, and uh, and so he was down with us, and we were all it was during Aladdin, and we we're all talking and having a great time, and then he looks up, and there's you know looks through the glass, and there's once again there's a hundred hundred and fifty people, and they're all flipping out because there's Robin Williams in front of them, and he just went right into entertainment mode, and all of a sudden we got this. 20 minute Robin Williams concert, you know, right there in front of us. Oh my cool. gosh. Awesome. And, yeah. But the, the people on the other side of the glass couldn't hear, could they? No, they couldn't hear, but he was, it's Robin Williams. He could do yeah. sign language. He could do whatever he wanted, you know, and <laughs> he was running up to the glass, having fun with the kids and the adults and, it was oh, great. My gosh. You know, uh, when guy. I, when I was down there on Lion King, I was actually in the trailers in the parking lot. I wasn't in that uh, fishbowl area, right. uh, which was the main studio for, for the park down there, the main right. uh, uh, where you were, but I was in, I was in those trailers. And so all I heard every few minutes was people screaming as they dropped in tower of terror. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. well, I, was, I was in the trailers with you during Lion King. Absolutely. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That's I was over there. Do you remember that would go out onto the onto the deck? Oh yeah, front, like, and, and it was every, every yeah, it was every every couple of minutes you'd hear wah, you know, <laughs> a collective scream of uh, of thirty people dropping on uh, the Twilight Zone tower. Tower exactly. of Terror. I'm curious though, because both of you guys were there in the trailers uh, days and over at studios. Did 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 you guys ever mingle with the WCW wrestlers? No, when they were down there, because it seems that that was a pretty infamous place for the wrestlers just to be hanging around the the trailers. I never saw the I, I never saw the wrestlers. Well, they it's a different set of trailers because they were on the other end of the park. 
So of the property. So our trailers literally filled up our parking lot. So when the studio first opened, we had our own parking lot and we had our animation building. We outgrew the animation building. And so they just put trailers in our parking lot and we had to go park elsewhere. Um, As far as the wrestlers and everyone else, that that section of the park was further south uh, on the property in a whole other different section. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Well, boy, I, I mean, uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun, and it was a different culture down there, really, than out in Los Angeles. It really was. It was. Um, I think. It was, I think for several different reasons. I think because of the openness of the floor plan, that was one. But I think primarily, a lot of us came from the same beginning. We all came from. I would say ninety percent of us came through internships. Mm-hmm. We were all young. We all had something to prove, um, and. So the, the big thing was there was no real departmental boundaries. You know, there wasn't really that that segregation that you get in a lot of other studios where the background guys hang out with the background guys and the layout guys hang out with the layout guys. And, and you know, everybody hung out together. And because, because, first of all, we were small enough, we could do that. We When we started, the entire studio was 75 people. Um, and, and then, you, you know, every, we were a family. What's that? Sorry, I, I was going to say, you know, with 75 people you, and everybody kind of starting out uh, sort of like their first animation jobs or 90 percent of the people there were first animation jobs. You guys yeah. were like a family down there. That's it. Absolutely. And and we're at the age where we're, you know, meeting our spouses and we're having babies. And um, and so the families all grew up together and we were all really, really close. We play volleyball together. We would go to each other's weddings, you know, and, and uh, um yeah, it was, uh, it was completely different than any other studio I've ever experienced, you know, since then. It's, it's, it's really, it was really magical. It really was. Yeah. Whereas out in Los Angeles, you know, you, you had a core group of people who had been at the studio for a long time, but you always had people kind of coming and going on each of the productions. And some of those people had worked at the studio and then they went off and did some other project at another company. And then they might come back uh, two pictures later. Uh, So it was a little bit more transient. Whereas down in Florida, that was the only game in town. I mean, really. Exactly. And so Disney knew that it couldn't be transient. Otherwise they're going to lose the people. So we were all under five-year contracts, you know, all long-term contracts. And, um, uh, and, you know, like you said, it was our first animation gig for most of us. So, um, you know, we didn't want to screw it up. And so we all, you know, we were all pretty tight right now, right from the beginning. You know, with that open floor plan, uh, uh, would you attribute that? I I know it was a family atmosphere, but but you and and Bob Walker uh, became good friends, didn't you, before you actually co-directed Brother Bear? Bob was the first guy I met at Disney, yeah. Was was he Uh, really? Now, he came from Canada, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He literally, and, and Chuck, Chuck was probably, you know, he was right, Chuck I met in the first week at Disney, but Bob, uh, I remember they had, it was their big, the first big, um, it was the opening of the studio and they had a big party for the opening of the studio. And so they threw this big banquet kind of as only Disney does. And, um, and I remember, you know, my wife and I walking in, didn't know anybody you're trying to make small talk. And there's this guy standing over by the shrimp with his dad. <laughs> and, uh, so I walked over and introduced myself and it was Bob. And uh, Bob had come down from Canada. I think he was working at Nelvana or somewhere. And um, and he and was a le- he was a layout man, right? He was a layout yeah. guy. 
Yeah, he came down and uh, he was head of layout. And uh, actually, I don't know if he started out as head of layout. He may have. Anyway, he came down and he was a layout guy. Absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, and we just hit it off. And, you know, Bob hit it off with everybody. And uh, and we all became, you know, we became lifelong friends. He he was to me. I you know I I remember chatting with him. Uh, you know very infrequently, but whenever I saw him, I would always chat with him. But he he always seemed like he was a very introverted individual to me. Uh, he was completely introverted. If uh, for and, and even more so, he was introverted even to us. But we knew how to how to push his buttons. Yeah. But even more so for the people that weren't around him. And I think that was both his um was both his mystique and and what was cool about him to a lot of people, but it was also part of uh, part of his downfall a little bit because a lot of executives didn't know how to crack that tough exterior. We always yeah. joked about Bob only having 800 words a week. You know, I, I actually, you know, with, with, with introverts, I always make it a point to try and get them to crack up. You know, I want to make them laugh. I I used to do it with Hendel Butoy and, uh, and, and I remember doing it with Bob uh, quite a number of times. I would just say something outlandish to him, you know, (laughs) everybody was really intimidated by him. And uh, just because he was kind of this big silent type, but, you know, bring a kitten or a puppy into the room and just watch the guy turn into a puddle. He's just, <laughs> he's always, you know, just, he's the sweetest guy. And uh, he actually helped me through a lot of stuff, you know, in my life, you know, throughout the course of our careers. And, and uh, I owe a lot to him. I really, really owe a lot to him. And he was, he was like a brother to me. He was just an amazing guy. Yeah, I, I I was very sad when I had heard that he had passed. Yeah. Well, it was it was crazy. We I remember um, I was actually up in Ottawa. His hometown is Ottawa, and we had always talked about going up there and meeting his family and you know goofing around and and going to his old haunts. And uh, and I ended up in Ottawa uh, to give a talk at one of the colleges up there. And I called him and let him know I was there. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it, blah, blah, blah. And and, uh, he told me to go to this museum and go check this place out. And uh, and so he did all that. And then the very next day, I was giving a lecture. And about five minutes before I got on the stage, um, I got a phone call saying that he had passed uh, during the night. And uh, and I had to give this talk. And it was, oh, man, it was... It was tough. It's oh tough talking God. about it now, man. It just, it chokes you up. It's, it was incredible. That That's so sad. Did, did he, when, when the studio clo- closed down in Florida, did he go back up to Ottawa? Did he go back to Canada? No, when the studio shut down in Florida, he and I, we, uh, we got another deal. So uh, we had another movie to develop. So we actually survived the shutdown in Florida and transferred to California. Okay. Uh, Chuck, Chuck, Bob and I, we stayed, Chuck Williams. We stayed a team and uh, we had another uh, film uh, deal. And so we went and I think we developed about three or four projects uh, through treatment stage before we got uh, one accepted off the ground. And, uh, and then that was during the time of David Staten going away and Pixar coming in and, and all of that. Yeah. Um, so it was a, that was a really big uh, tumultuous time for us um we had a lot of horrible personal things happen to us during that time you know not only did we have to you know the florida studio shut down but um you know my wife karen was diagnosed with cancer and i lost her during that time and it was just you know to make a movie and 
And then uh, it was just, it was a mess. It was just to to have all that happening and also to uproot yourself and move to Los Angeles and and, and be, you know, in the thick of it, trying to develop all these different projects and, and ultimately um, most of them fallen by the wayside, but you were developing, I'm trying to remember what was the one project that was moving forward there? It's called Um, King of the Elves. That was it, King of the Elves. Yeah. I could, could, I was searching my database in my gray yeah. matter for it was King yeah. of the Elves. I remember there was some wonderful artwork done. Oh, on thanks. That. Yeah, it was. Um, I was. I did a ton of artwork on that movie. It was. Um, it was based on a short story by Philip K. Dick, who wrote Blade Runner and Yeah, Report, Total Recall. Uh, but it's really only the it's the only fantasy piece he ever did, and it's really kind of it's much more psychological in the real. In, in his writing than the way we treated it. Cause it's more of a kind of a fantasy that happens in this guy's head. Yeah. Um, but I thought, man, if this, let's take it out of his head and make it real, it could be something really cool. And so it's about this guy that runs a gas station in Colorado. And all of a sudden these elves come up out of the woods and their King dies at his feet and they make him their new King. <laughs> and and it's and he's got to help them against the trolls and all this. And he's like, "What the hell are you talking about? I'm a guy running a gas station in Colorado, you know." And so we took it and um, we moved it to Mississippi to the Delta, and wanted to get some nice swampy music in there. We just thought it could be really cool, and it was really gaining some really great momentum. But then you know we had a lot all this other stuff happen and. Uh, and we were kind of losing, you know, as things happen at, at Disney, you know, one of the things that uh, John Lasseter is so good at, and I think Pixar and Disney are so great at, is developing worlds, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we are in the middle of, is just trying to get this world figured out along with the story and everything else. And um, and so we were neck deep in all of that. And and but we just couldn't, after, uh, after I lost my wife, Karen, I, I, I just completely lost my whole mojo of wanting to make movies anymore and yeah. actually uh, ended up, I was taken off the film about a year and a half after all that. So wow. decided to start over. Yeah. And, and what, and after that was, was that when you moved back to Florida and just decided to get a, a fresh start? Yeah, exactly. You know, this is, this is all part of that talk that I was talking about because there's so many people that, they get their their heart set on working in a particular place. Like I've got to work at Pixar, I've got to work at Disney, I've got to work at DreamWorks or whatever. And uh, and that was me. I, I I my entire career was Disney. You know, my my entire identity was was my family and Disney. That's that's all I really knew. And uh, and all within a year and a half, I lost my wife Karen. My kids were obviously devastated. I'm trying to figure out how to do that. And then I lost my job with Disney and, uh, and they, they had, well, I lost my job as a director. I didn't lose my job with Disney. They wanted me to stay on. Yeah. And, and, but in that moment I realized, you know, I, I was sitting there with, with uh, Andrew Milstein and uh, uh, Ed Catmull. They said, you know, we'd love for you to stay. We've got, you know, we'd love for you to do this, this, and this. And they laid it all out. And I remember sitting there within 30 seconds. I just, it was, it was like crystal clear what I needed to do. And, um, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I said, I said, I quit. And they said, whoa, 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 whoa. And, you know, and I said, no, 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 guys, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad. I just realized I've fallen so far from where I need to be mentally. I need, I need to find me again. I need to figure out who this guy is. And, um, 
And so I'm going to start over. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And so we hugged it out. It was really a great meeting. And then I remember going home that night. I lived in La Crescenta, had this big house up in La Crescenta. And I was like, okay. And I sat down like, what am I going to do now? I got to pay my mortgage. And, uh, and so I sat there and, um, you know, first thing I did the next day was get that house on the market. And then I came into to work and going through emails and all of a sudden found this job offer uh, in Florida to direct a movie there. So um, just serendipitously, the universe came together for me. Hey, you know what? When one door closes, there's always another one that's. Well, exactly. Open, that's the thing. Know? That's exactly and, it. And a lot of people don't realize that or they, they can't bring themselves to believe that. But but that's exactly what happens. Yeah. You it's know? A, Absolutely. And what's even funnier is, well, not funny, but, you know, as you, as we move down the road, you know, that, that job ultimately went under because the company I was working for went bankrupt. And so it put me in this place where I had to finally go, okay, what the heck am I going to do with myself? And that's why I decided to start this business that I'm doing now, where I've taken all these years that I had at Disney and everything else and, and kind of boil it down and, and, teach what I've learned and that's what I'm doing now. And I'm, the irony of it is, is I'm happier creatively now than even when I was at Disney. I love my, my time at Disney, but the freedom that I have now from a creative standpoint is, is uh, it's unparalleled. It's it's great. Now you started, you started an online school essentially, but you, you also have a fine art business as well. Exactly. And it's all part of the same business. So, but it's mainly teaching and and the, the fine art side of it, it's kind of, uh, it's the result of the teaching. Like if I'm teaching someone how to do an animal painting, then maybe that animal painting gets sold down the road or something like that. But it's really the main, the main gist of it all is, is, is teaching animal drawing, animation, character design, um, painting, all those different things. But what's cool about it is because it's online, it's international. So then we, that includes travel. So we travel around the world and, and do workshops and it's just a blast. It's a, so it's you a do, you, you, you were before the pandemic doing some in-person workshops in different parts of the world as yeah, well. Yeah, right? matter of fact, right, uh, about six months, uh, eight months before the pandemic, we, um, we rented a castle in just south of Manchester in England and had 40 students and we lived it up in a castle for two weeks and taught people <laughs> how to paint. <laughs> King, you know? King Aaron, King yeah, Aaron was, in his castle. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was it's stuff like that, and and uh, so we've had a great time. Obviously, in the last year and a half, we haven't done any travel, uh, but you know now that things are starting to lighten up, we're starting to make plans, and uh, we'll get back to Europe. I, I'm curious because of the pandemic, did you see a bump up in your uh, attendance of your online classes? Yes, absolutely. And, and are you doing not only live classes, but uh, giving students access to p- previous uh, recorded classes? Absolutely. That, so that's yeah. how that all works, right? That's how it all works. And, and do you have a? Do you actually have curriculum? Uh, do you do you have like if somebody uh, comes in new and says, uh, you know, I I don't have much training. Are there sort of fundamental classes and you build yeah, up? So- so we don't necessarily have a curriculum, but we do have different courses. And so it's it's there for people to pick and choose from. Mm-hmm. And so if you are somebody that's new, um, we do have courses that are geared more towards basics. And we can say, you know, try this first. Uh, but there's nothing there where we say, hey, you must do this first and then you do this and then you do this. Um, 
but what's interesting is that, you know, people can come in, uh, um, you can buy a membership for the entire course and you've got access to everything that's on the site or people can just come in and go, Hey, I just want that character design course and they can just get that. So there's all different kinds of ways uh, people can come in. And, um, and one of the things that we did, you know, when I first conceived the, the idea for the business is I wanted to make sure that it was right about the time that art school prices were going through the roof. Yeah. And I just, one of the things that really bugs me is just how obscenely expensive art school is nowadays. Sure. And, um, and so we really wanted to make uh, art training accessible, um, extremely affordable and taught by top professionals in the industry. So you're not the only one that's teaching in, in your, your particular online academy. No, it, it was me for a long time, but I've brought other people that are at the top of their field, right. storyboard artists, uh, sculptors, uh, you know, maquette makers. Chuck, I've had uh, Chuck Williams has given two courses on uh, producing, uh, getting uh, films off the ground, uh, writing stories. Um, we've got all kinds of stuff in there. That's awesome. That is really awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to me, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about your wildlife art because, you know, as, when I, I said during the introduction and I was very serious by the, by the way, uh, you know, that I was comparing you to people like John Sibley and Roger Troy Peterson. And, you, you know, I, I, I think I have like a 25 volume Roger Troy Peterson field guide set, uh, yeah, sure. in, in my library, but, you know, and, and even John, uh, John James uh, uh, Audubon, uh, you know, there there are some, you know, really people that are at the pinnacle of wildlife art. And I when I look at your art, I, that's what I think of. I mean, I, I put you up in that category. And and if you would, I'd, I'd like you to talk a, a little bit about how you go about doing some of your uh, wildlife uh, drawings. I mean, I've seen some incredible uh, images that, you know, art that you've created of wolves. Uh, you, you guys just did a trip out to what was a Yellowstone? Yeah, yeah, we just got back two weeks yeah. ago. Uh, you know, you, I, I've seen some of your drawings of the bison, of wolves, of uh, uh, I just saw a piece, I think, earlier today uh, of a lion. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, some well, beautiful, beautiful artwork. So talk a little bit about that. Well, thank you, first of all. But uh, it, for me, it just it just it, I've always had a passion for animal art and drawing. There's just something about, you know, it, it, either you're, you're either an animal lover or you aren't. And. And if you are an animal lover, you see the spirit, you see the the, the camaraderie in, in other species that, you know, you, you feel in, in with your own friends. And so I've always felt like I'm, you know, I'm just more interested in drawing those subjects than other people. And, um, and part of it, too, is just being able to go to those to the places where those animals live. And so, and that's part of what uh, I think gives my art a little, at least some, some legitimacy, I hope. Um, is the fact that, you know, I, I, I try to get to those animals in the wild and see them, uh, you know, in person. So I've been able to go, you know, like, I, you know, we just got back from Yellowstone because we, we went out to go see uh, grizzly bears coming out of hibernation. And so and we came across some wolves in the meantime, which, which was great. Um, and, you know, like you said, the bison and, and I just like to be out in that world, in that environment. And we photograph and we draw and, and uh, you know, Africa, I've been, you know, we're, we're heading back in September. Uh, that'll be my fourth trip to Kenya uh, where we, we go on safari and um, 
once again, just sit and draw a photograph and, and just kind of soak it in. Um, and, and really get the get the feel for the animals in their environment. I mean, exactly. that's really that, that's really part of it. That's the inspiring part of going on those types of research trips. But, and, and speaking of which, when you mentioned Kenya, did you were you part of the team that went down on Lion King? I was uh, not. No, you, you didn't go on that field trip. OK, no, um, I was too far down the rung at that time. But uh, but since then, I've gone back a few times, like I said, and uh, um, and that's the thing, you know, for, for like the, the trips for for Lion King. The reason those are done, it's, you know, because I get, you get so many people say, well, why don't you just go to Google? And, you know, you can pull you can pull up everything you need on Google. Mm-hmm. And I try to explain that there's something different about being in a place. Obviously, there's something different about actually being in the place and smelling the smells and feeling the ground under your feet and just being there. And the the. The ideas and the inspiration and everything that arises from that really does make its make its way into the movie and the storytelling. And um, and so and it's the same thing for for painting and art. Um, it's one thing to pull up Google images and, 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 you know, you can go to the zoo as well and you can you can draw animals at the zoo, which is I highly recommend it if you can't go to other places. But, you know, if you can get to where these animals live naturally and see them the way they naturally live. It's a, it's a whole different experience. And, and then, you know, being able to take that experience and bring it home, you know, you can, you can kind of bleed that into your, into your imagery. Yeah, and I, I think one of the great things at, at Disney Animation uh, was the fact that they did send the artists out uh, to various locations that were indicative of whatever the film it was that they were working on. Because, exactly. Because as artists, you get to, you, you know, when you're in an environment, you know, you, Aaron, are going to notice something different than I might notice. Right. But we're both going to be inspired by being in the place, being in the moment. Uh, exactly where where those animals are or the architecture is or whatever right. that is that you're you're looking at and, and, and I, I think it's, it's hugely also important. creating the image from what you learn and what you see rather than what you think um i love you from a disney standpoint i love the example of looking at snow white and the way the animals were treated in snow white compared to bambi which was what bambi was what seven years later or something like that four four or five years later yeah Yeah. it was in in development uh not long after and you know the biggest difference being that you know they brought the deer into the studio for bambi and they brought the animals in and and you know when you see bambi's mother or bambi himself you know walking across the screen those are real deer yeah. You can see that those are those are real observations that someone saw and, and translated them and kind of funneled them through their arms and through their brain and got them onto that paper. And they just it's those observations that that stick. And and that's what I try to explain to people when you're out and you're drawing from life, you're you're soaking all that in. You just start you become an encyclopedia uh, whether you realize it or not. You'll be able to go back to your drawing board and and recall things that you know, you never thought you could, um, you know, you know, I mean, just in animation, when you look at Bambi, I mean, just the way, you know, the, the deer, uh, the deer looks up and turns its head because it hears something and a little right. flick, flick of the ear. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, those kinds of things, those subtleties, those overlapping actions, those are the things that really bring the characters to life. That's exactly right. And, it, and it's all done through observation. And, and that's what I, you know, that for me, the animal drawing aspect of everything is just the end result of a whole string of things that I love to do. I love to get out into the wild. I love to camp. I love to travel. I love to do all that stuff. And so, uh, and I just happen to love being around animals. So I, I do all that where there's going to be animals <laughs> and, and uh, uh, so that I can bring it back and then re recreate it in the studio. Uh, but going back to the accuracy thing too, you know, another example I always use for people on the why you drive, draw from life and drawing what you think rather than what you know. Um, you know, if you take a five-year-old boy or child and give them a crayon and say, draw a tree, nine times out of 10, they're gonna draw two bent lines with a big squiggly on the top and that's their tree, right? Um, because that's an icon, it's a, it's, a, it's a symbol in their head. Well, you, you can take that same five-year-old and sit them in front of a tree, take them out in the yard and say, draw that tree in front of you. You might not get a beautiful rend rendering, but you're gonna get something that's representative of what they see there. And it's going to be something that's recorded in their brain forever. And they'll forever change the way they draw trees, you know? So right. Right. Um, it's that example for everything, you know, it's why, you know, Pixar and Disney films, I think are so good because they take the time to do all that research. And, and it's not, and it's really like every discipline within the studio is, is doing that kind of that level of research. So right. If you're in layout, you're looking at the environment, you're looking at architecture and structures and things like that, that would be in the movie. Uh, if you're an animator, you're looking at the motion, how, how a person's walking or how the animals are behaving. Uh, you know, same with special effects. Uh, you know, you're looking at those things that are specific to a particular region, area, or, uh, you know, what, whatever it is that all those elements come together and make it uh, that place. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, for me, it's, you know, as much information as I can get, that's what I strive for. And I was doing that before Disney. I was, I was a creepy kid. You know, I love, I was always fascinated <laughs> by animal anatomy and I was pulling roadkill out, you know, bringing it home and drawing dead animals all the time just to understand how they're, how they're put together, but it paid off, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm just curious, uh, uh, you know, you were talking about uh, how you exited Disney. Uh, and, and I think this is important because, you know, you, you, you said something earlier about, you know, how it was, you know, your, your whole life was wrapped up with your wife, your family and Disney, you yeah. know, and that was your identity. Uh, and what, what would you, you know, looking back when you left and, and where you are now, can you talk a little bit about life after Disney? Because I, I think we've both seen former colleagues struggle uh, with that loss of identity, if you will, you know, yeah. because, because people were so wrapped up for decades in one place. Yeah. And that's what it was for me. I, you know, I, I, I went from college, you know, to, to Disney. I was 21 years old when I got my job. I was 20 years old when I interned and 21 years old when I got my full-time job with Disney. 
And then, you know, I was uh, 42 or 43 when I left Disney. So I spent that uh, 21 years. Half your life at that point. 21 and a half years of that half my life, literally, at Disney. And so it really, it really does become embedded in you. And you really don't, you become so, it's like living in your own house. You just be, it's, it's just part of you. And so when all of a sudden it's gone, it's just pulled away. There's a bit of, uh, there's a mourning there, obviously. Um and you got to figure out what the heck you're going to do. And that's when you really dig in and go, okay, well, you know, I, I am, I'm not defined by Disney, although I've been there all this time. And you really got to, that's when I started discovering again, the things that made me who I am back to, you know, my animal drawing and my painting and, and uh, you know, animation was now part of that as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what can I do with it? And luckily, you know, I had a, a job offer right away. I was able to ease into that. But it wasn't until after that job offer went away when I really wanted to change my career. I really wanted to get away from the studios and get away from, you know, being under an executive and just be my own boss and just figure out what I was going to do. That's when it really got scary. Um, But luckily, I'd spent a career of not knowing it, but really preparing for that. Um, you know, I'd been able to build up a little bit of a nest egg and, and had some cushion here and there where I was able to go off and try a new business and fail at it a little bit for a little while and, uh, until it got off the ground. And that's what, you know, that's what I was able to do at that stage of my life. And I couldn't have done it had I, had it not been at that stage of my life. It had to be a little bit later. You know, you said something interesting about uh, have some failures. Uh, you know, I, I always uh, I go back to uh, a quote that I heard, and I'm not even sure if he actually really said it this way, but uh, Chuck Jones uh, told some folks that uh, everybody's got 10,000 bad drawings in them. So get drawing, he said, get drawing, get those out of your system. Uh, but but you, you can't be afraid to fail. Um, I think being an artist is about failures because you may start a drawing and it doesn't work out, uh, especially when you're starting out, when you're early in your career. Can you talk a little bit about not being discouraged by uh, those failures or, you know, a drawing not turning out the way you wanted to? Well, I can, I can take you back even further. I remember when um, we were just finishing up on Mulan and, uh, uh, and we had this big state, you know, we used to have these, remember back they they they'd have the big teleconference and as a state of the union at disney kind of thing that tom and peter would do the town hall, the town hall meetings the town hall meetings exactly and i think at the time we had paris uh we saw paris we had florida and we had la so you know and everyone's hooked up together and i remember sitting there uh wondering what the next project was going to be that i was going to go on to <clears throat> and um, uh, Tom and Peter started talking about, they'd always talk about what's going on at the studio. And they would start, talk, start with development. What's in development? And they, they, they hit upon a couple of different things, but then they said, oh, there's this project called Bears. And all of a sudden my ears just went, Boop, and I just perked right up. And, um, you know, just the idea of drawing bears and animating bears and, you know, anything with bears would be really cool, I thought. And so instant, I, I didn't hear any, the rest of the meeting at all. I just, I was obsessed with this movie called Bears. And so after the the meeting, I instant, right away emailed Peter and Tom, said, hey, I'm, I'm really interested in this bear movie that you're talking about. Can you tell me more about it? Is there any way I can, I can get onto it? Um, and Tom, 
emailed me back and we emailed back and forth quite a bit. He was wondering why I was interested. And, and I explained, I, matter of fact, I just gotten back from Alaska when, uh, when they were talking about it. And, uh, and I had, you know, I just, I had ideas uh, for what it could be visually. And, uh, cause I thought maybe I could be an art director on it or something. And, um, and so it went back, back and forth a lot. And until finally he came to the studio well, for some Mulan meetings and uh, he and I had a meeting together. And um, the first thing he said to me, we sat down because I, I was getting ready to, to pitch to him, you know, doing some design work for it. He said, you know, before we get started, have you ever thought about directing? And it really just, you could have blew me over with a feather because I, I really wasn't expecting it. And I really hadn't thought about it. And, um, uh, and he said, you know, this is something that, you know, no one's really attached to this project right now. We want to keep it going. Uh, you're the only one that's really expressing as much enthusiasm as you are. And um, I like the way you think and, you know, let's see where it goes. And so he said, you know, over the next few months, we're, you know, we're going to have screenings of the movies, whether it's Mulan or whatever else was being made at the time. Write your notes, send me your notes. I want to see the way you think. And so I did that. And uh, and then eventually I remember I remember going home and telling my wife, Karen, that, you know, this opportunity came up and I told my father at the time, but I was really nervous because every other movie that I'd ever been on, the original director had always been sacked and they brought somebody else in to finish it. <laughs> that was always the way at Disney, right? It, it, was. Was like, it would start with uh, development directors, as we would lovingly call them. They'd yeah. be fired and they bring on two new directors. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, I don't want to be the first director. <laughs> and, uh, I was really nervous about it. And so I was on the fence about whether or not I wanted to do this because I had just signed a new deal as uh, a new, uh, as a, uh, uh, supervising animator. Yeah. So I had, you know, whatever project I was going to go on to, I was going to do that. And so I, and I knew I could do that and be nice and comfortable. And, uh, but my, I remember Karen coming back and my father both coming back and saying, you know, you can, you can do this, um, you know, animation and you'll be happy. But I know five years down the road, 10 years down the road, you're always going to wonder what if, what if, yeah, yeah. you know, and so I was really scared. I didn't. And, and the other thing was, I didn't know what I didn't know. So the, there's a little bit of ignorance in there that kept me going forward. Mm. But um, but I still was really scared just of, you know, if I fail, I'll have lost everything. Luckily, um, I had a great uh, relationship with Tom and Pam Coates and a lot of the development team. And they really became a big safety net for me because I, I did ultimately come back to them and say, you know, this is something I'd like to do. And um, and like I said, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, at the time I thought, hey, I've worked on seven feature films. I know how to make a movie. But that was all back end. I had never done the front end of a, of a film. I'd never yeah. created a story and, and led a team in creating a story. And uh, and so I always I always talk about Brother Bear being my my six year filmmaking school, because that's really what it was. And I fell on my face so many times, but I had the blessing of having a great boss uh, in Tom and Pam that said, OK, you fell down. Now let's get back up and and move forward again. And, and when you and when you talk about falling down, you're talking about you know the the misfires that always happen on the film story wise, exactly. you know, because you you put a story up in reels, you tear it down, you put it back up, you tear it down again, 
you put it up, something doesn't work. I mean, you yep. know, you're ripping sequences out, you're reboarding stuff, right? Yeah, and if you're not careful, you can really lose yourself in the forest during that process. Mm-hmm. And at one time, we, we kind of did. We were, I remember Bob and I, um, Bob being a first-time director as well. And, and how did Bob get in? Like, you you expressed interest in being, you know, uh, attached to bears at the yeah. time. Right before it became Brother Bear, but how did how did Bob get uh, hooked in as your co, as a co director? They we knew down the road that I was going to need a second director. Not I, I, not that I was going to need a second director. They knew the film was would need a second director, and um, and Bob had always been a smart guy, uh, and he's another one that was really he would get put forward some really. Uh, strong notes during screenings. He, he always he always did that. And uh, we knew that Brother Bear was going to be a very layout heavy, big, spectacular film from a you know from a you know, just a visual standpoint. And so we just thought it would be great to have Bob uh, do that. So we I remember them uh, Pam and I and Tom talking about that, and then. Uh, uh, they went to Bob and asked him if he would do it. And they were just getting started on Lilo. He was heading up Lilo and Stitch and uh, he went ahead and accepted it. And he was actually going back and forth for a little while before coming over and working full time with me. So he was heading layout on Lilo and Stitch. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah right. And so um, I remember you know, at one point he and I were struggling. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting a little hoarse. We were struggling a little bit with the, with the story team because we had gotten the movie to a place that was feeling really good. We had just had a great, I think, second screening. And, uh, but there was a few things that just weren't working right. And the story team really wanted to make some big changes. One of them was they wanted to take our main secondary character, who is a big full grown grizzly, voiced by Michael Clark Duncan, and get rid of him and turn him into a little cub. Uh, named Coda. And we're like, no, it's working great the way it is. And we had, you know, we were battling back and forth. And I remember Pam coming to Bob and I saying, look, you know, if you don't start listening to your team, you're going to lose your team. And once you've lost your team, you've lost the movie. And Bob and I really took it to heart. And we, we stepped back and, um, and we changed everything up. We brought in Coda, which was a great change for the film. But we went so far the other way, we really lost our, we just let everything come in, like a floodgate. And um, and so then we did this this third screening. And this is one of the things I love about Tom Schumacher is, you know, we, we screened the movie and it obviously went backward. There is things about it that went forwards, but it obviously as a whole went backward. And everyone had their polite clap at the end and, <laughs> and, uh, it was in the theater in California. We went, we'd flown out to, to screen it there and everyone files out and Tom stands up and he's looking back and making sure everyone's gone. He's like, okay, the doors are closed. Okay, great. And he turns around he goes, okay, team. Now we know what we don't want to do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he said, That's okay. Tom is so <laughs> great. Cause he could see me just sunk in my chair and just, yeah. I, I was just sweating and, and I thought it was it. Um, but we sat there and we pulled out, you know, the nuggets that, that really, that were good. And, you know, part of that was Coda. That's where Coda got his birth. Yeah. And, um, and it, and it all grew from there and, and, and solidified over the next, you know, two screenings or so. But, but, and, but that's that, the process. That, that, that's the process. I mean, that, that's the you process, know. but it's yeah. also having a crew and having executives, bosses, that understand that process right. and are willing to support you 
and and have the faith that you'll be able to pull it together at the end. It's the, it's the times where you don't have that faith that it can really kind of crumble mentally for you. I, I don't know if this was the case if it was on Brother Bear, but I kind of remember I was just sitting here listening to you talk. Uh, Michael Eisner, didn't he lend a Bierstadt painting and yes. that they hung in the uh, California <laughs> studio as sort of inspiration for... I'm, con- I'm convinced. Well, he came to us, he said, I want you to make the movie look like Bierstadt. Oh, I just happen <laughs> to have a Bierstadt painting that I bought. I'm convinced he did that so he could write it off. It was like, I mean, I don't know how much that painting was worth, but it was this massive painting that they hung. Uh, yeah. Millions. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember we went, we, he, had, he ended up having a, a, a retreat at his place in Aspen. Right. And he flew all, I, I, were you there for that? No, I wasn't there. No, not at all. He flew. But I, I remember all you guys going to his quote uh, cabin in yes, Aspen, the, which the was cabin, like this the twenty the twenty thousand square foot cabin <laughs> in the valley in Aspen. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the, it's a giant log cabin that he has, but it's you know it's thirty rooms and whatever. Yeah. But you walk in and right there, you know, over the entrance way entrance is that that giant Bierstadt painting. Yeah, and uh, it was amazing. Something else, but that that hung for quite a number of months. Uh, in, oh, it did. Uh, yeah, right there in the stairwell. Disney animation. It was it was in that uh, two story section. Uh, if you went in the lower level, uh, there was right. a two story section that you could look into from the first oh, floor. That, remember right. that? Yeah, now a, I remember. And yeah. and uh, and it was a massive white wall, and it was a massive painting anyway. It was, you know, so and, and our listeners can go. Is it Alfred or Albert? Uh, Albert Bierstadt. Google Albert Bierstadt and you'll see some of these massive, uh, beautiful landscape paintings of of the American West. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the originals of the, that painted, you know, the the American West back then. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, it all worked out. You, you were actually one of the rare films where the original directors actually completed the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for better or worse, you know, we, we got the movie done and uh, you know, I think the movie came out. Okay. I like it. Um, I, mean, I think it's, I think well, it's a beautiful film and, well, I, and, oh, and frankly, uh, you know, it, it has its own style and, and beauty that sets it apart from uh, other films that were done during that time period. Well, I, I, I certainly appreciate that. It was it, for me, when I go back and I watch it to me, it feels, it feels like a first film for me. I would love to, I, I would have loved to have been able to make another film for Disney for sure. Um, but I, you know, I'm, it's still something I'm very proud of and, just the idea that I was able to complete it. I'm very happy. Well, you should you should be proud of it. I think it was a it was a beautiful picture. I, I mean, it was a gorgeous looking film. And uh, Al John, would you say it's? Uh, I, I think it's it's one of the underrated films from from the renaissance of Disney animation. Right. I, my wife and I still we this is part of our you know uh, we we always and we say this a lot. Like this is a very underrated film. But honestly, it's so much to be proud of because look, it, it it had an Oscar nom. You had the the Annie Awards that loved it. You had an amazing soundtrack and all the great character um, voice actors in it. But of course, the story animation is great as well. So yeah. I mean, you, you can't take that away. I mean, it was nominated for best animated feature. I mean, that's a, quite a quite an honor. And I would think you yeah, know when you hear the news, uh, Aaron, when you hear the news that it's it was nominated. I mean, how did you feel? How did you and, and Bob feel about that? 
Oh, we are really excited. We are very, very excited about it. And uh, we had a great time at the Oscars. Um, you know, it was the same year that, you know, Nemo was up for it. So we, we knew Nemo was going to take it. But um, we just we had such a great time with everybody, you know, the uh, you know, all, all the all the studios that were there. And um, and, you know, as far as the movie goes, I, from a from a thematic standpoint, it was something that we were always very proud of as well. The message of the film, you know, trying to, you know, to understand others and, and that sort of thing. It felt like at the time a message that needed to get out there. And and so and so it felt it felt timely. So we did that. And um, and actually, I, you know, I've got some of the, you know, as far as uh, when you're talking about. <clears throat> the music and all that, you know, I grew up in the eighties well, through the seventies and into the eighties, but you know, my, I grew up, graduated high school in the mid eighties. And so Tina Turner and Phil Collins, we, you know, they were right there at the top. So oh, me, yeah. it was great. And I still remember uh, going to Switzerland to, um, to record Tina for the opening song. And um, one of my greatest memories of Disney at all is just sitting there. It was just me Tina Turner, Phil Collins, the three of us sitting there having lunch, about talking that? about music, talking about the movie. And I'm just sitting there trying to pinch myself, trying to remember this, you know, this, this moment that, that we had. It was they both lived in, uh, they both live in Switzerland, don't they? Yeah, she lives in Zurich and he's in uh, Geneva. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's amazing. I remember seeing him at the uh, animation studio in California. I, I, I came walking down a hallway and I heard some voices behind me and I turned around. And I, did, I think I did a double take because yeah. I turned. I'm like, hey, wait a second. That's Phil Collins back there. And I- <laughs> well, that's the thing. He It was funny because um, my original choice, I don't know if I can say it, but my original I wanted to get Peter Gabriel completely yeah. uh, uncoincidentally I, I wanted to get Peter Gabriel or coincidentally and um, and Phil had uh, just scored the Oscar and did so well on on Tarzan mm-hmm. and uh, Tom Schumacher this is this is one of the few times that Tom Schumacher played his executive card and he goes no you're getting Phil Collins yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd say it worked out <laughs> well and on my way I, yeah. I was I was really excited. I wasn't expecting, you know, it, it was, it, it was, it was awesome no matter what. So. I bet. Well, on my way is just a, an amazing song and it still holds up just like the film. And it's great that you were able to work with such great talents on, on the film. And, and I'm just curious too, you know, when it came to the voice casting uh, for the film, uh, what was that like uh, in terms of, especially, you know, working with Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah, it was it was really hard to be honest with you. Uh, casting Kenai was the hardest character. I think we listened to and auditioned over a hundred Kenai's. Wow! And uh, and we had some we had some really good ones in there. Um, the hardest part was just getting somebody that sounded uh, not too modern and, and contemporary, and and then other people that we had come in that were more native. They said it was, we, we couldn't get the range that we needed. And it was just really tough yeah. finding that right balance. Um, and I think Joaquin, um, even though he fell probably more towards the modern side of things, um, he had a range that we couldn't get from anybody else. Um, you know, when he went raw and emotional, it was, it was raw and emotional. And that's, that was something we just couldn't get from anybody. And it was really, 
really strong. I remember um, there's a scene uh, in the that we recorded where he's Sitka, his oldest brother, has just fallen on the glacier and he's fallen into the water and he's drowned and he's gone. And Kenai has to go in and search for him. He's screaming for him. And it was like about a year after uh, uh, River Phoenix had had passed. Yeah. yeah. And and I forgot about that, you know, and so we, we get him going <clears throat> and um, and Joaquin's in there and he just gives it his all. And to the point where I'm just I'm sitting in the booth with him and I'm just mesmerized by his performance and he's screaming and yelling and this. And, and finally, he had to tell me to cut <laughs> because I just I was just completely sucked in. Wow. He goes, somebody's yelled, cut. So no, I'll cut, cut. And he's crying. And it was, oh man, it was a mess. It was, it was tough. Wow. Well, wow. What a powerful performance. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because I mean, not funny, I shouldn't say funny, but it was interesting in the fact that it was so strong and so overwrought uh, for lack of a better way of explaining it. Um, I think we used a tiny little bit of it actually in the film. That was it. Wow. Hey, uh, we're starting to run a little short on time, but I, I want to uh, touch on um, uh, your fine artwork uh, because I really want to hear from you. Uh, you. You've got the school going and we're going to put uh, links in our show notes about that. But uh, what about the fine art and doing prints and sign prints? And do you have gallery representation? And if somebody listening wanted to say, my gosh, I want an Aaron Blaze print, you know, what, how do they do it? it it's all, it's all through our business creatureartteacher.com. I have, um, as far as the fine art side of things, like I said, it's really, that's just become <clears throat> the end result of the teaching and, and everything else. So are you pulling prints of any of the pieces? Yeah, and, and we do, okay. and, we, and we have them on our site. Uh -huh. uh, but there's also we can do prints of you know if someone sees an image that they that they like and they want to print, we can we have the ability to do that as well because we've we've pulled together our own printing equipment and everything. So um, yeah, we have that ability to do that. It's all uh, if uh, if they email um, support at creatureartteacher.com. Um, anything can be, we can get anything. So, so you can do commissions and, and requests. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Not so much commissions. I'm not really doing those anymore, but if there's anything that you see on the site, actually we're getting ready to do a big sale uh, next week. I've got a big backlog of paintings and all kinds of stuff that I've done over the last year uh, that I just want to get rid of. And so yeah. we're getting, we're going to be doing like a little auction next week for that. Well, let me ask you this. What, what about doing, uh, have you done a one man show yet or a group show uh, uh, of your art? Uh, no, we, and actually we've been talking about it. Um, the biggest thing right now is uh, I've got my first book coming out uh, in about six weeks. Awesome. All right. So uh, it's actually two books. I've got my first one is it's just the art of Aaron blaze uh -huh. and it covers the last 25 years Um and uh, we've got that out to the printer now and we're waiting for the proof. And once that's done, then we're, we're pulling the trigger. So it should be about six weeks while I have it out. And then I've also got a black and white uh, coming out called 100 Drawings. And it's, and it's just that, it's 100 Drawings. Fantastic. And is there any theme to those drawings or is it just all no, animals? It, it literally is just whatever I was feeling and 
uh, we just pulled together some of my my favorite drawings. So 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 figure years. figure drawings, life drawings, and yep. wildlife drawings, landscapes, yeah, so whatever it is. Some of it's yeah. emotional. You know, it's just all kinds of stuff. Oh, that's awesome, Aaron. Uh, there is life after Disney. Uh, Absolutely, there, there always is. And uh, any of our colleagues out there uh, who uh, have come come through the the Disney studios knows that there is a light at the end of the tunnel as they say uh, i loved absolutely loved my career at disney it's i will never say a negative word about it it was one of the greatest decisions i ever made as a young person back then is to take that job and uh but like you said yeah there's just there's life afterwards and you know you gotta yeah. move yeah, everybody moves on. They turn the page to the new chapter. Uh, I, and I have to say, Aaron, it, it, it really was incredible having you on the show and talking. And we could continue talking for several more hours. But Absolutely. what I'd like to do is say we're going to have you back on the show at some point in the future. We, we say this to all of our guests because we can't possibly cover anybody's career in an hour, hour and a half of chatting on a podcast. So I just want you to know we're looking forward to uh pinging you again in the future to say hey aaron come on on and tell us what what's going on and uh and, and talk about that well i i really really appreciate you guys having me on i i, I love doing this kind of thing and uh, and i would love to come back on again matter of fact i'm we're hoping to have uh i've got a short that i'm working on we're hoping to have it done in about eight or nine months so maybe we can time something oh absolutely i would love to do that with you and and help promote that is, is it going to yeah. be a theatrical release or what do you what do you guys that's what i'm hoping i'm still working on the distribution side of it but uh -huh. um we're you know i'd like it to be in the running for festivals and that sort of thing so i'm i'm still learning and figuring all that i'm, I'm picking uh i'm picking don han's brain quite a bit excellent nice. fantastic well he's the person person's brain to pick well, yeah. a couple things before we we let you go Aaron I have to say thank you for sharing your story of just uh, incredible bravery and resilience in 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 the midst of everything going on but thank you for sharing oh. that and I will say that uh, creatureteacher.com you can become a member sign up for that email because uh, you could there's a lot of different ways you can get schooled um, and in right. fact one of the coolest quotes I see here from Byron Howard from Zootopia Entangled uh, Byron directs that and, and says, I was trained by Aaron Blaze. Aaron is awesome. So I love that. That's like the best quote you could have from someone that's still, once again, just, just working hard, Byron Howard. And uh, those well, are great. Byron, yeah, technically, Byron was my assistant on Mulan. There you go. Byron was awesome. I think Byron came out of the womb awesome and animated. <laughs> I didn't teach Byron a thing. He was amazing, but yeah, it was, it was great. That's awesome. So yeah, it, it's a creature art teacher. Go check it out. It's, it's, I uh, hope you, you know, I hope everyone likes it. Absolutely. Well, Aaron, thanks for being on the show. It was great, great talking with you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one. For a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Aaron Blaze, man, what a great interview. You know, really terrific. And, you know, I got to say, a complete open book, you know. I mean, it was it was great hearing some of those stories. And uh, it was just great seeing them. I hadn't seen them in, in quite a number of years. So it was, it was really great to catch up. And, man, we you got to put the link into his website because he is probably one of the great 
wildlife artist of uh, of our generation. He really is. I mean, just an incredible artist. Absolutely. There is a free PDF that you can download just by checking out creatureartteacher.com, his website. And you can learn how to draw elephants and all kinds of wildlife there just from signing up for his newsletter. So I'll put that link in our show notes as well. But just what an amazing artist and a great, a great overall just person and human being. So what a delight to have him on the air. Yeah. So we have this uh, awesome, awesome bit. Uh, I guess we have so many guests you've got lined up, Dave. You know, they're, they're, we're, we're, we're trying to slot in people. We're starting to have a scheduling log jam. Uh, but yeah, we're, we've got a whole load of people coming up. But I have to tell you, uh, our audience, uh, that Al John and I are going it alone for 4th of July. But it will be an explosive episode. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're going to be we're, talking we're, about. We're looking for. We're looking forward to that. But after Fourth of July, we've got Rick Baptist, the trumpeter, and yeah. he's also vice president of the American Federation of Musicians, Local Forty Seven. He's going to be coming on the show to talk about music. Oh, and yeah. and the one thing about Rick is he's played on virtually almost all of the Pixar films. Absolutely, uh, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, and more recently. He was also one of the, um, I guess, the composers for Soul as well. And I cannot wait uh, to pick Rick's brain because he's not only just an amazing musician, very prolific, but uh, I hear he's just an amazing human being. And I can't wait to pick his brain on music. It's one of my one of my loves. Also, uh, I know we've got some, we have more uh, artists in, in the fold. I don't want to spoil it unless you want to give a tip your hand well, a little bit. I, I- I don't want to spoil it either, but I will say after Rick Baptist, we do have Tom Bancroft coming up and we are going to get the final answer to if we punch Tony in Los Angeles, does Tom scream? In the- <laughs> Honestly, we're going to find out. Twin magic, twin magic, <laughs> double your, double your pleasure, double your fun and maybe double your pain as well. Who knows? There you but go. Once again, if you love Disney and pop culture, please be sure to subscribe and share this show. Leave us those reviews uh, on every podcast platform you can. I know everyone's subscribing to theirs, uh, whether it's Amazon or iHeartRadio or iTunes or what have you, but we do appreciate it. So please consider giving us a subscription and giving us those reviews. You can follow us on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Al John and Dave. We're both on LinkedIn as well. And feel free to drop us a note. We'd love that. So email us as well. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com, Aljohn at SkullRockPodcast.com, and leave us those voicemail messages as well. We'd love to play them on an upcoming show so you can hear yourself. Uh, just leave us that, that link in the show notes. There's a voicemail link to Anchor.fm, which is our home base. You can check us out there. I'd also like to send a shout-out to our uh, uh, our partners there at Sorcerer Radio. They have us there as well as a featured podcast. So thank you at SRSounds.com. Please check that out. And... Um, also, I, I, I very rarely mention this and occasionally you hear the promos, but we'd love for you to subscribe to uh, the Disney List podcast as well as uh, the Dining at Disney podcast that I produce as well. So I'm just giving a little plug there. Absolutely. is uh, This is the place for all the shameless plugs. That's right. Honestly. It, yes. You know, uh, but uh, finally, uh, I would uh, say that, you know, we should make a note that next week, let's talk about all those other podcasts because there's some terrific shows out there. And I want to give a shout out to all of those folks because they're just great people and they've got great shows. Absolutely. So, yeah. You let's know? make that, let's we'll do make that. that list. Absolutely. Dave, and we leave you with a final word. 
Well, as I always say, peace and love to you all. Go out, have a great week this week. Uh, go and see a movie. I mean, the world is opening back up, but please be safe. And if you feel if you feel comfortable wearing a mask, wear a mask. There's still variants out there. We're not out of the woods yet. So be safe and have a great week. Oh, and happy July 4th weekend. Coming up. Yes. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook. The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.